some selections from the book of Deuteronomy. So please turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we'll begin in verse 15, but skip around a little bit. So Deuteronomy 15, sorry, Deuteronomy 28, beginning in verse 15, please rise out of respect for God's infallible word. These are what are called the curses of the covenant. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall, shall come upon you and overtake you. And now skipping to verse 27. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scab and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. And then down to verse 35. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. And then turning over to Deuteronomy 32, we will read verse 39. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. This is the Lord speaking. He says, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there's none that can deliver out of my hand. Now for our second scripture reading, we will turn to Je Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. And we'll read verses 12 through 17. Jeremiah 30, verses 12 to 17. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. There is no one to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered. And all who pray on you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, it is Zion for whom no one cares. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for the awesome majesty of your word the intricacy of it, the unity of it. 
And we thank you also for the sufficiency of the word, for all that we face in this life. We pray that we would be avid readers of it, hungering always for the sufficiency that the word alone gives, and that, Lord, you would teach us now in your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I learned yesterday afternoon that David was sick, and um, we needed to figure out something, <laughs> um, I was reminded of something that Montgomery and I say to each other often and, and think often, which is, there's so much we want to tell you. There's so much we want to impart to you. Um, so in this moment, there's really no shortage of things that we'd like to tell you about, <laughs> things to preach about. And as I was praying, this was, the, this was the theme that, for whatever reason, came to mind. That we give much instruction in this church, after all it is a Christian church, we give much instruction in this church about the salvation of our souls. The question I want to ask is, does God care for our bodies, too? After all, so much of our lives are consumed with matters of our bodies. And there's this ancient error that says that our bodies don't really matter. That what really matters is our souls, and really our bodies are kind of like prisons. We need to get rid of them to really be free, and to really be human. Uh, the biblical vision is the exact opposite of that. The biblical vision is that we were made to be both body and soul, and that's a good thing. That's the way God created us. And so that means that when our souls are ruined by sin, God, of course, cares for our souls. That's why he sent his son. But when our bodies are ruined by sin, does God care for our bodies too? Yes, and that's why he sent his son as well, not just for the redemption of our souls, but also for the redemption of our bodies. And just think for a moment of all the ways in which we experience the brokenness of the body. So many different kinds of brokenness. Um, there's the kind of everyday sicknesses, which probably... Our intern, unfortunately, is struggling with right now, just sort of a fever or whatever. Um, colds, stomach bugs. But then there's even worse things. Chronic sickness for which there is no cure. Where you, the rest of your life, you are afflicted with whatever malady. Um, in some cases, people struggle with chronic pain that never ends. And then there's all kinds of congenital disabilities, things that we're born with, right? Things that just simply, this is the way our body is given to us. And it's, it's got brokenness built in. And then there are disabilities that come because, again, the brokenness of this world, accident. I just was having my teeth cleaned, and the lady who did that talked about her husband um, falling off a horse about a decade ago and has been paralyzed, paralyzed ever since. It's not something that's going to be fixed in this life. And then, of course, there's all the ways in which our brain interfaces with our soul and creates other kinds of brokenness that are also brokenness of the body. So you've got mental illness. You've got things like ADHD and, and just problems where... Um, it is a soul thing, but it's also a body thing because of how our bodies, our brains are broken. That's a lot of brokenness, right? And I'm sure we could think of other, other kinds of brokenness um, that, that afflict us. 
What does God's word have to say about that? For this evening, I'd like to give us a sprint through a bodily, biblical theology of bodily affliction and healing. A biblical theology of bodily affliction and healing. We're going to do, remember what biblical theology is? It's tracing a theme through the Bible, seeing a theme unfold. So we're going to trace the theme of bodily affliction and healing through the Bible, all too briefly. And then we will reflect on what does that mean for us? How do we live in light of what God says about these things? So, of course, we have to begin at the beginning, that God made the world good with no sickness, with no brokenness, with nothing that was wrong with our bodies. Our bodies were created, the the first human bodies were created perfect, with no afflictions. They were whole. They were healthy. They were made just right. And then what happens? Sin happens. And as a result of Adam and Eve's rejection of God and rebellion against God, one of the things that flows from that is afflictions of the body. And he mentioned some of them in the, the curses there in Genesis 3. There's, of course, the pain in childbearing, bearing, but the, the, the worst of all is when he says, dust you are and to dust you shall return. And he says that because of their sin, just as he had said when he said, don't eat of the tree, and if you, in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die, death entered the world and brokenness of our bodies entered the world because of sin. And so we need to reckon with this, that the way the world is now, with death all around us, with afflictions of all kinds of the body, this is not the way God made the world. It's because of sin. And even as I say that, I have to be very, very careful <laughs> immediately say that when we have whatever afflictions we carry, we should not think that that is because we have done something wrong. Remember John chapter 9, the man born blind, and everybody says, oh, there's, his parents must have sinned or something for this guy to be born blind. And, and that whole passage is saying no. The entire book of Job is saying to Job's friends, no. Just because Job has these horrible boils all over him does not mean that he sinned and somehow deserved this. But we still can say that the reason why there are things like that is because of sin. And, and this is really important to say because we really want to be careful and make sure we understand that the brokenness of our bodies is not because of some failure on God's part. That, oh, he's a good creator but not perfect. No, this is intentional. He made things to be like this. This brokenness is now part of what he intends for this world in the sense that it's his response to our sin. It's something that our sin brought. It is not because God lacks the power to reverse our brokenness. It's not because, as some cultures, uh, some pagan cultures would say, oh, um, you know, this particular affliction came on this person because evil was more powerful than good. No. It is because of the fall and because of our sin that now there's all this brokenness in the world. And this sets the stage then for this question. Will brokenness continue forever? And we already have the answer in Genesis 3. God's going to send this deliverer who's going to crush the serpent's head. And so we're expecting there's going to be a deliverance of our bodies. And the question is, how? How will God heal the world? 
How will he not only reverse sin, but the effects of sin? And the answer is given to us in a shadowy way in Exodus. Remember how the story of the Exodus is like a, um, it's like a mini salvation story, a shadowy salvation story. Of course, it's a great, it's a great story. But it's also a profound foreshadowing of what Christ is about to do, what he's about to accomplish. And so we can learn a lot here about what Christ actually did accomplish by looking at this shadow. And the very first thing we have to understand is that when we look at Egypt and what God does to Egypt and when he sends those plagues on Egypt, that those plagues are wounds. Those plagues are plagues. They are diseases, as it were, in a metaphorical sense. But there's a reason why God chooses that word, plague. Because he is setting those upon Egypt, he's dealing them these wounds as an act of his justice. As an act of justice against them for their capture and retaining of his people Israel. But what does he do for Israel? He spares them. And indeed, it says, more than sparing them, he heals them. The restoration and the exodus... That, that story of the Exodus, God pulling his people out of Egypt, is a healing story. How do I know? Exodus 15, 26. Right after the Red Sea crossing, do you know what God says? He says to them, after he, right after he's brought them through the Red Sea and the waters have come down and destroyed the Egyptians, you know what he says? He says, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord, your healer. What's he saying? He's saying that what I'm doing for you, Israel, is an act of healing. And here we have to understand what the word healing means. The Hebrew word for heal is not just, you know, healing some wound in our body. It's really a general, more general word for rectifying, for fixing, for making things good and whole again. What is God doing for Israel? He's making them whole. And what is he doing? He's bringing them out of bondage to and brokenness in this land that's not their own. And he's giving to them a good and beautiful land. That's what the kingdom is. God restoring to Israel things the way things were meant to be. He brings them out of a terrible place, the iron furnace. And he brings them into this promised land that is like the Garden of Eden. Ah, now things are looking good and whole and upright again. It's a beautiful picture of healing. A broken people made Whole. And it says in Leviticus 26 that they were made, they who were stooped under, the, under the, um, the heavy weight of their burdens and slavery, they were made to walk upright by the grace of their God. And yet, if it's going to be a good picture, it needs to be a good new creation picture. And there needs to be wholeness, not just of body, but also of soul. These two things go together. And so he says to them, in that very same verse I read to you, um, Exodus 15, 26, I kind of lifted that part about I am Yahweh, your healer, out of a larger point, which God says, listen to this, this is the full verse, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes. In other words, if you picture in your souls the wholeness of what I call righteousness, then I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh, your healer. Did you catch that? 
So if they are to continue to enjoy the blessings of this experience of healing, of enjoying the land, and enjoying the goodness of life in the land, they must be good pictures then of the whole work of healing that God is calling, um, that God intends to do, which is to be a people of righteousness. And he says, if you don't do that, if you don't follow my laws, and if you, in other words, become Egyptized, you, you, you start acting like Egyptians, then I will put on you all the plagues of the Egyptians. And that's what we read in Deuteronomy 28. That's why I focused on those particular curses of the covenant. Did you catch that theme? He says, if you do not obey, then I will put on you all of these incurable diseases. I'll put on you the plagues of Egypt, for God is a holy and just God. He's not going to allow Israel to pretend that they can act just like Adam and Eve, sinning and rebelling against God, and yet still enjoy God's blessings. No. If they're going to sin and rebel like Adam and Eve did, then they will face the same blow, which is to be removed and taken away from that good blessing and cast out of the land. And of course, that's what we know actually takes place. For Israel, they had a terrible cancer of the soul, did they not? It's the cancer of soul that every human being is born with. It's that cancer of soul which we call a broken and idolatrous heart, original sin. And so in the book of Jeremiah, when things get especially terrible and God sends his people out of the land, what does he say? He says that all of the false prophets are trying to heal the wound of the daughter of my people lightly, saying, oh, peace, peace, oh, we just need a Band-Aid. And God says, oh, no. The wound is very, very deep. The wound of their sin is very, very deep. And therefore, the wound of my judgment must be very, very deep. And that's what we heard when we read the first part of Jeremiah 30. What did that passage say? It said, I have laid all these wounds upon you. It says, your wound is incurable. Your hurt is incurable. Your wound is grievous. There is no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. In other words, this exile that God is putting upon them, this casting them out of the land, there's no reversal for this. There's, it's over. You are destroyed. You are taken away. God has brought all the plagues of Egypt on his people for their sin. Because of their incurably wicked hearts, he has cast them away and given them the just reward of their sin. He has wounded them in such a way that they can never be healed, is what he says. There is no one who could ever cure you. In fact, he says, why do you even bother crying out over your hurt? Your wound is incurable. There's nobody who's going to be able to fix this. But then he says something truly amazing. And I hope you caught there in Jeremiah 30 how surprising the end is. He's just said, because your guilt is so great, because your sins are flagrant, I've done these things to you. And then he says, therefore, and we're expecting now, okay, now he's going to really blast the final words of judgment. And then he says, all who devour you, you shall be, all that, all who devour you shall be devoured. And you can imagine the first listeners kind of pausing and saying, did, wait, what did he say? And he says it again. All your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. All of our foes shall go into captivity? I was expecting you to say we were going to go into captivity. All those who plunder you shall be plundered. And then he says, verse 17, I will restore health 
to you, and your wounds I will heal. The God who dealt the incurable wound is the God who now says, I will heal the incurable wound. Why? Because of his zealous dedication to his glory. He says, because they've called you an outcast, in other words, a banished woman, a a person just sent away, and he says, they've called you an outcast, it is Zion, oh, Zion, nobody cares for her, her God gave up on her long ago, and that is what animates God to now say, oh, oh, really? Oh, contraire, I will heal the seemingly unhealable wound of my people. He even says, Jeremiah 3.22, I will heal their backsliding. I will heal the inner cancer that led to this outer calamity and disaster of exile. And that's where the Old Testament ends, is with this expectation. God's going to somehow intervene to heal their backsliding He's going to even heal all of the effects of sin and bring his people back. And we're reminded of Deuteronomy 32, 39, that I hope you you saw just how awesome this verse is when we read it earlier. See now, even I, I am he. There's no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There's none that can deliver out of my hand. We haven't finished our biblical theological tour yet, but just pause for a moment right there. Do you realize what God is saying? He's saying every experience of brokenness that we have, he claims that that is part of his wise governing of history. It's part of his plan. He ordained these things, even the hard things, everything. Everything's part of his plan. Remember hearing the story of a boy who had a terrible boating accident. There was a motorboat and there was propeller for the motorboat and the boy was in the water and the propeller cut into the boy's side. And the father was a Christian. And he talked about afterwards, and this boy was dealt such a wound by this propeller that there was not, he was going to be dealing with the issue his entire life. And yet it wasn't mortal. And the father testified to God's sovereignty, and he said, when that propeller was slicing through the water, the Lord said, thus far and no farther. The Lord wounds, and then the good news is, the Lord heals. And that's what we want to talk about now. But even as we move into that healing part, I just want you to remember that even the wounds, even the hardships, even the hard things that you are dealing with in your body and in your life and in your family, those are things that God in his sovereignty brought purposefully. It's a part of his good plan for you. So as we open our New Testaments then, what do we encounter? we encounter a great healer, Jesus Christ. And as you're reading through um, all the Gospels and you're encountering all these healings, you can kind of like forget just how awesome they are. And, and, 
and we can kind of say, well, yeah, well, of course, Jesus is this great healer. And, and yet you, you might have, uh, if you just sort of think about it just afresh and just asking yourself, where have we seen healing like this before? Who in the Old Testament heals like this? There's really only one answer. Yahweh, the Lord. He is the great healer of his people. The Exodus is the great healing miracle of the Old Testament. Jesus is Yahweh, the Lord, come in the flesh to heal his people. And just think of all the healings he does. I was, I was looking at a list. I was like, man, this is a lot. This, is, this isn't even complete. Peter's mother-in-law, healed of a fever. Remember that? He just picks her up by the hand and she gets up and serves. All these lepers. That's like a permanent, you, you, you know, that's a permanent disease. That he healed the lepers. Paralyzed people, including some paralyzed from birth, who never, ever have walked before. A man's withered hand. A woman with an issue of blood. A man who's unable to speak. Blind people, including people blind from birth. And then there are three resurrections. The daughter of Jairus the widow of Nain's son, and Lazarus. What's this all shouting at us? Jesus cares about our bodies. He cares about the afflictions of our bodies. He came not just to be the savior of your soul. He came to be the savior of your body. Because you are your body. You are both body and soul. The, the body is a, is a irre, it's, it's a, it's a irreplaceable part of who you are. Your body, God cares about it, and he wants to save it. And yet all of these are just pictures, right? Think about every single one of those examples that is gave. Every single one of those people are now dead. They all lying in the grave. Those, those bodily miracles, like the withered hand and all that stuff, hands withered again. It's not, Lazarus is not, like, his body is not alive. Right? All of those healings were temporary. They were all pictures, all driving towards this, that Jesus is Yahweh come in the flesh, the Lord come in the flesh, who's come to be wounded and receive in his, in his body on the cross the great wound of God's judgment, so that by his wounds we might be healed forever of all the bodily afflictions which we face. Isaiah 53, he came to heal our infirmities. He came, as Jeremiah 3.22 said, to heal our backslidings, yes, the sicknesses of our soul, but he also came to heal and to resurrect our bodies. And Revelation really just punches his home, where it says twice, that chapter 7, verse 17, 21, verse 4, he says twice, he will wipe away every tear. Every tear. That means everything that is broken, everything about you that is broken, including everything about your body, he will heal. That is what Jesus Christ has come to do. That's what all those pictures were pointing towards, a God who cares about healing the inner of infirmities, but also the outer infirmities as well. Jesus bore in his body, the wound of death, so that we might be made in our bodies 
alive. So how do we live in light of this great, great redemptive work of healing that Yahweh, the Lord, our healer, has done for us? Well, I have just three points of application. First is this. It is good to pray for healing and to work to bring about healing, to take care of the sick and the helpless. It's good to pray for healing, and it's good to take care of the sick and promote healing. It's good to pray for healing, including miraculous healing. Do you know the very first instance of the word heal in the Bible is Genesis 20, verse 17. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. All these women who weren't able to have children, God healed their bodies miraculously. Why? Because Abraham prayed. And I could tell some really crazy stories in our present time of unbelievable works of healing, but I feel like it would kind of steal the show of our, of our time here. But the point is, God can do this. I mean, there are amazing stories of the doctors have like no idea, like this person had stage four cancer and it is gone. We cannot explain it. Well, we can at least explain it as far as saying God did this in answer to this prayer. God can do amazing stuff. He loves to intrude into the present with ultimate realities. Do those people who experience those extraordinary healings, do they eventually die? Yes. But what is he showing? He's saying, this is what I'm about to do in a glorious way in the resurrection. Okay, so we pray for healing, but we also seek to take care of the sick and help us. Think about all the plagues in Europe where in the medieval and early church times, Christians distinguished themselves. Why? Because they took care of the people who nobody else wanted to take care of. Why? Because they loved them, but they also had hope in the resurrection. Think about in our present time, what's the trajectory of our culture? If a person's sick or elderly, the temptation is just, okay, just... Just don't even try to take care of them. Just, just abandoning, abandoning them to death. I mean, people who think it's okay to abort babies who have some kind of congenital defect or even those that don't have it, but they think that's an excuse. In the contrary, we say every one of those people, including the elderly, including those who are terribly disabled, they are image bearers. And God intends to heal the seemingly incurable diseased. Every time we take care of the elderly or the chronically sick or the disabled, we're saying, I believe in the resurrection. We get to be in this life agents of God's healing, even regular healing, you know, somebody getting better from a cold or whatever. That's an intrusion of God's grace, and we should seek that. So that's the first application of this. Second is this. Our hope for healing should be in none other than the great healer, Jesus Christ. And before we get into trusting Jesus alone for healing, we should say immediately that does not mean that we think that um, medicine is a bad thing or an evidence that you're not trusting God. Uh, on the contrary, medicine and doctors, those are things that God in, in his word actually endorses. First Timothy 5.23 no longer drink any water, only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments, Paul says to Timothy. Or the parable of the Good Samaritan. What does a guy do? He puts him on his animal, 
And what does he say? Binds up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, brought them to an end, took care of them. God gives us minds to understand how our bodies work. He gives us senses to say, hey, this herb causes this effect. We should use those for God's glory. He even gave us bodies that are self-fixing. That's just incredible. We should seek to foster what promotes that self-fixing for the glory and honor of God and for the good stewardship of the bodies he's given us. However, 2 Chronicles 16, 12, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. What's this saying? Physicians are bad? Of course not. It's saying Asa did not seek the Lord, but he instead sought what he should have sought from the Lord alone, from the physicians. Have you ever had this panicky thought when you've been really afflicted with something really bad? Have you ever had this panicky thought, I need this fixed now. Give me whatever it takes to fix this, and I want it fixed now. It's a temptation right there, isn't there? To idolatry. Temptation to say, I'll take what, just give me anything it takes to make this better. Have we trusted the Lord? Have we even sought the Lord? Did we even take this to him? Who is your healer? Am I taking this medicine or this treatment out of a panicky attempt to regain complete control of my life? Or is it out of a sense of, I want to be a good steward of this body for the honor of God for as long as he gives me? And I want to ask, you know, Lord, what would honor you in the stewardship of my body? And indeed, as stewards, we're asking, don't just give me the quick fix, but what's the like long-term effects of this medicine on my body, right? That's part of what it means to be a steward. We have to admit that for some, the modern medical establishment with all its amazing powers has become an idol. So do not trust in medicine or doctors. Of course, use those as a good steward, but trust the Lord. He is your healer. Third and final point is to be patient. If you understood the whole biblical theology of healing, then you understand that God's eventual plan is to heal your body. But some things will not be healed this side of glory. When we ask for that miraculous prayer of healing, when we ask for God to do something amazing for our bodies, when we work hard to bring about that healing with the means he gives us, and yet the answer is no, how will we respond? John Piper has this wonderful, very provocative title of one of his books. He says, Don't Waste Your Cancer. That is so good. You know what he's saying? He's saying, don't waste your cancer. Don't waste the opportunity to show that you believe in the resurrection. Don't waste the opportunity to testify that your hope is not in this life. And no, I'm not going to go to crazy lengths and impoverish my family and all this sort of stuff just to eke out one extra month of my life or whatever it is. I will testify to the resurrection. And I will understand that God brings these things into my life at the right time, so they'll trust him. So I'll glorify him. Lord, help me to know what you want me to do to learn through this. How, how can I honor you through this difficult path? And we wait upon the Lord. He will heal your body. Remember once a man who had a mentally disabled child who was very severely mentally disabled, such that this, this child could never learn 
language. There was no way that this child could ever learn um, human language. And he said, this child will be in the resurrection with me and we will be able to speak and we'll know each other. God will heal the unhealable things, the things that there is no cure for, even with the coolest and most amazing science. So, brothers and sisters, be patient. Look for the one who said, I will wipe away every tear. He will wipe away every tear. And praise the Lord, who forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your diseases. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you for this really astonishing promise that you will heal all our diseases, all the brokenness of the body. It will all pass away when the Lord Jesus gives that triumphant shout and causes our bodies to reassemble and stand perfectly renewed on the great day of resurrection. Lord, hasten the day, for there is so much brokenness and your people are gravely suffering. Help us to be patient, not to be idolaters. Help us, Lord, to trust you, our great healer. And we thank you that the, the salvation of Jesus includes not just the salvation of our souls, but also of our bodies. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.